You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Often when we talk about commercialization, we talk about the impact of the technology being transferred. In this episode, I'm excited to discuss a program developed at the University of Kentucky's Office of Technology Commercialization, which takes a unique approach to innovation. The program not only develops and manages innovation and entrepreneurship, but also prioritizes inclusive innovation, ensuring equitable access to entrepreneurship and innovation training for underrepresented innovators at UK as well as in Kentucky. Joining me as a guest today is Serenity Wright, Associate Director of Social Innovation at the University of Kentucky Office of Technology Commercialization. Serenity earned her doctorate from the University of Kentucky in policy, measurement, and evaluation. Serenity taught high school for eight years, served as the Associate Dean for Diversity and International Student Services at Transylvania University, worked in city government, and served as the Gatton Honors Pathway Director and Co-Director for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Gatton College of Business and Economics. In addition to serving on several community boards across the state, she also holds an appointment on the Mayoral Commission for Racial Justice and Equity. She is passionate about advocating for those who struggle to access opportunities available to them. Welcome, Serenity. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. I'm so excited. Yeah, I am too, because it's been two years since you were last here. And at that time, you were relatively new in your position. So catch us up about all that you and your social innovation team there at Kentucky have been up to. Share with us how you and the team have been fostering positive change. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we could spend the whole 45 minutes on <laughs> just the things that we have tried um, and, you know, the lessons that we've learned. Um, and, you know, my favorite line is even the chaos that we've created. Um, but, um, you know, it's often shocking to me that it's been two years because in some ways I feel like we've been doing this forever because we were able to so quickly make some rapid gains that I hope we'll talk about today. And then in other ways, I feel like, well, why are we still working on that? Like, why why have we not changed this yet? Um, so a couple of highlights on how we're making positive change. I would say um, the biggest piece about this is um, our team operates under what I refer to as the positive pennies philosophy, right? So we, in order to make positive change um, for the University of Kentucky, for our Commonwealth, and even broader than that, um, we will really do anything and everything we need to do to be helpful, right? Like, um, and it comes from this place of we're we're part of the team, right? And that I think is most important for social innovation people, right? Is that they feel like there is somebody who is part of the team. And so sometimes that means 
just sitting and listening when they need to vent about something that's not going well um, or about the process and how arduous it is to move some of the bureaucracy through when we're like, we just want to help people, <laughs> right? Um, sometimes it means writing letters of support for grants. We've written um, letters of support as part of tenure packages, right? None of those things are really truly related to tech transfer, right? But those are things that we're doing as part of the team. Um, we've been more engaged across campus in the experiential education piece, which I think is really critical, um, not just from a metric standpoint, right? Or from a, well, we have X number of classes, but from a true, how do we teach the next generation to think about making sustained social impact in any um, in any major or field that they're in. And so that's the long-term game. But from a short-term perspective, the beautiful projects and solutions that come out of some of these engagements between our faculty and the community, um, that is immediate positive change, right? That, that we don't often get to see in that quick moment of, wow, we fixed that. It sounds like you've managed to create a very inclusive environment. We are trying. We are working on it. I'm very impressed. I'm very, very impressed. So, well, that leads me to want to ask you, how is the social innovation team actively shaping an inclusive innovation ecosystem? And what I mean by that is, can you share with us some specific programs and initiatives that the social innovation team offers to help advance social innovation impact and social enterprise at the University of Kentucky? So shameless plug, I will start with, please connect with us on LinkedIn because that's where we share all of our wins and talk about all of our innovators and share their stories. Um, the other thing I'll say is, you know, I've been working in creating access and opportunity through policy change, um, through evaluative work, through programming for almost 20 years. Um, and one of the things that drew me to this job was the piece about enhancing the inclusive innovation ecosystem, right? Because my brain just said, these are things that we can do, like tangibly do for lasting change, right? It wasn't gonna take me five years to evaluate a policy and then move something along, right? And it didn't feel performative either. Like I wasn't gonna sit around and, um, you know, only do guest lectures or only do book clubs, right? We were going to, it, it allowed us to do all of the things on an amplified timeline. And I think this is what, um, be, staying grounded in this, I, I really hold on to this inclusive innovation ecosystem really firmly um, as a critical piece for everything that drives what we do. Because at the end of the day, I don't consider inclusion as, bringing people in, right? And, and um, you know, we use a lot of different metaphors, putting people at the table or making sure voices are heard, right? But from my mental mind frame, I am constantly evaluating and assessing how are we getting programs and opportunities to people, right? I don't want them to just see it. I want them to see the clear map for how they get there. I want them to see... Um, you know, I, I have to be a big ways person because I'm constantly directionally lost. Like I cannot <laughs> get from point A to point B. 
um, without calling for help. Um, my program coordinator says it's my greatest strength that I, I'm incapable of doing this. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, and when I follow my ways, there's like little coins you can pick up along the way, right? And little wins. And I that's the mental map that I'm building in my head for my innovators. I want them to see, okay, if I do this, there is proof of concept f- funding for me. Like that is actually there. It's not a, oh, it's out there. Maybe you can apply. Maybe it'll work for you. A no, I know I can get type that. Of thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't want them to see like, oh, there's this program or, oh, maybe we can find a licensee, right? We are trying to get ahead of the innovation that could come and working on all of those pieces in advance so we can say, yes, it is here. It is X, Y, and Z. Um, from a tactical perspective, um, we're tracking timelines on how long it takes us because we are, we are, despite everything in me, <laughs> we are still early um, in, in our growth, right? And so we're tracking how long it takes us to do things, right? From disclosure to... Um, market um, abstract, right? Where the thing is actually ready to go out into the world. How long does that take? What if it comes into us with a a potential licensee already lined up? How long does it take us to move these things through? Because what that is saying is also how many templates did we have to change in the process? How many new things did we have to create? How many antiquated institutional policies did we have to raise our hand and go, Actually, this has not been reviewed in the last 20 years. And, oh, nobody talked about this 20 years ago because this college unit, whatever, didn't exist then. And now it's different and we have to adjust these things, right? So this building this inclusive innovation ecosystem is at the core of everything that we do. And that we are really focused on, on the team and on the journey and keeping track of everything that needs to happen to be to be successful and readjusting and redefining what success means based on what we're trying to accomplish and with whom. And that's one of the really neat things about being new, right? Because you can do that and you can experiment a little bit. It's not like in, you know, something that has been around for a long time. You have that flexibility because there was nothing there before. Yes. So talk to us a little bit, Serenity, about how the social innovation team contributes to the development and sustainment of an inclusive innovation ecosystem, particularly with projects that are focused on social improvement and justice. Yeah. Um, So we have our, um, (laughs) I've been joking with our team that I was not going to recruit anybody into our spring accelerator program. Um, I just... I needed a break. Um, I I felt like there wasn't anybody ready in the pipeline um, that was that I was currently working with. So this was like Thanksgiving time. I was like, I'm not recruiting. I will be the best Robin there ever was, but everybody else is going to be Batman. Uh-huh. Yes, who's um, carrying fifty percent of the cohort? I was going to say I wasn't believing that there for a second. Yeah, um, and I, I promise I didn't mean to, but I love our UXL program. Um, it's led by uh, Laura Halligan as the executive director for our Launch Blue team. She and Erin Shea lead this program, and I love it. It's amazing. And one of the things that I I think is most helpful to social innovators on our campus when we're talking about how are we actually sustaining these things and supporting these things is that 
Laura and Aaron and, and all of our commercialization managers, all our coaches in this, understand that the social, social innovation component is an and. It's not an or. It's not an other. It's not um, this thing that we have to deal with and find a way to work in, right? That it's embedded in what we do and how we talk about everything. And so from a sustaining perspective, having that program to really put a solid infrastructure around these innovations, I think has been the most critical thing. You know, two years ago, I was like, yes, we have this program called UXL and someday we will have a cohort. Um, and we have had a mini sub cohort. Two years later, we're on our third mini sub cohort of just social innovators. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. And, um, you know, again, I, I think it's because of the coaching and the teaching that um, is really the curriculum that's dr driven by Laura and Aaron. Um, the other thing I'll say is we have partnered with leadership across campus for various ways that will work for their innovators to offer support, right? So in some colleges, it means I have a satellite office, right? Where I sit there for office hours to offer support and just serve as a brainstorming, you know, it's not necessarily coaching, but like, yeah, let's just talk about the idea and play. Like, let's just dream for a little bit. Um, so some in some places, it's office hours. Um, in the College of Social Work, um, we have built an infrastructure that really um, focuses on incentivizing and rewarding IP and the commercialization process by the faculty. That's never existed before that's brand new, right? In the social work department. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. I would never have thought of IP coming out of the social work department. Yeah, and uh, um, it's been it's been amazing, right? And it it changes the conversation. I sit in on um, faculty interviews for them so that they new faculty coming into the institution know this is important. What you do and the solutions that you're creating for the community, that is critical to your role here at the institution. And here are all the supports that are available for you, right? In other colleges, um, we've created proof of concept funding mechanisms to support what they're trying to do, right? So, they're, so the faculty don't feel like they're on their own. They know their administration supports them. Um, and we've gotten national recognition in, in the fields for these innovations. Right. That weren't there before. And from a sustaining perspective, it's great to have the idea and to drive it forward. But if there's no money behind it, it can only go so far on its own. Right. So having, you know, these university leaders who have walked with me to say, yep, we're going to do this. Um, College of Education, um, acting dean Danielle Stevens Watkins. She has been a huge supporter of us. She's also um, the vice president, the associate vice president of research for our Unite priority area, which is specifically about equity and supporting diverse researchers and innovations for diverse and marginalized communities. So to have somebody like that stand with you and say, yes, we're going to make this a priority. How can we work together? What? And she'll say to me, what do you need? So it's not even all about what do they need, right? But to also know that they know here's what I need to help your people in order to do that. 
That's really impressive, Serenity. It really is amazing. And we're just talking about two years since, you know, you really came into this role. So I'm curious as well, can you describe for us any community-engaged programs or projects that have been initiated by the social innovation team to help promote an inclusive innovation practice? Yeah. So in addition to having our university accelerator, we also have a community-engaged pre-seed accelerator, right, where we're really trying to support and enhance that ecosystem as well. Um, Eric Hartman um, was just awarded in conjunction with Key Horse Capital um, a grant for Invest Blue, so that we have a funding support and source um, for our community innovators. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we often say things like, well, we also bring community-based solutions to our faculty. And everybody wants to know, well, what does that actually look like and how do you do that, right? Um, so we partnered with um, Queer Kentucky. Um, and, that, you know, one of their key initiatives is about health, mental health, physical health. Um, and as they were looking to create a survey to figure out, what are the things that people need, right, in the community related to these big pillars of health? Um, we're very thankful for our, our partnership and support with the Center for Health Equity Transformation on campus. That's led by Dr. Nancy Schoenberg. Um, but I reached out to Dr. Schoenberg and said, who in your research world would be willing to help this community organization put some validity behind their surveys and evaluation, put some research um, support behind their community-engaged programming. Who do you know? And she sent this roster of people who just said, please pick me, please pick me. Um, and not only were they passionate about it and excited about it because it's the research field, right? And it was an opportunity, but they genuinely cared about, well, where are you trying to go as an organization? How do we need to help you do that as well, right? And acknowledging that there's more to this partnership than just what data can I get and working with them, right? And this, I think, to, to answer your question in terms of what are the programs and initiatives that we're doing to support this, I don't know that it is so much a program as it is peopling. Is that a program? Can we say it's it sounds like you're a connector is what it sounds like. It is. Um, and we do that. Right. And we track those. We track those connections and facilitations and the impact of those. Um, but I, I feel like it's it's more about friendship. Right. And, and the humanity behind the work that we're trying to do um, and keeping that really at the forefront is driving a lot of our success. So with all the success that you've been having, in what ways do you identify, evaluate, and support the impact of inventions, innovations, and social impact products that come out of the university? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, this, I question about how do we identify these things? That's a great question. because <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah. That yeah. must be a tough one. I mean, you know, similar to the, what are you doing? We do all the things we are willing to do all the things, right? So in order to find them, uncover them, discover them, identify them, um, we do presentations all over campus, all over the community. Um, we track press releases, not just ones on campus, but in the community as well. What are people post, what are our researchers posting on social media? Um, what is what is already out in the world? And then how do we help them, right? 
um, we go to their presentations, right? We go to where they are, where they're talking about what they're passionate about. And we sit and we listen. Sometimes we engage while we're there. Sometimes we just go to sit and listen and we circle back at another time when it seems more appropriate. Um, and again, you know, things like office hours and I would call it more traditional methods in terms of email blasts and outreach um, to just get them to popcorn up, right? Um, and then much like anything else from an evaluative perspective, it runs through our IP office and um Anybody who's heard me talk in the last two years knows Matt is my IP guy. You can't have them. We're a package deal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we are we are attached. Um, but Matt Upton is our senior associate director for intellectual property. Um, and you know, IP around social innovation is not easy. No, that's um, a hard one. That's a very very difficult one. You know, and um, I don't know if you have heard this, but when I first kind of came into this role, I heard lots of conversations that were almost um, dismissive in a way about it because it was like, oh, it's just copyright. It's not a patent or, oh, you know, it'll never make money. So whatever. But the amount of research and brain work he puts into figuring out all the trans transdisciplinary intellectual property that happens the ways there are federal guidelines and university definitions around who's a contributor, who's an innovator, what can we do with this IP, um, the ways in which we've had to figure out, oh, they developed that IP out in the world and now they're bringing it in. Can you even do that? Can we can we just do that or do we buy it or can they give it to us or, oh, no, that doesn't work. I'm sure there have been some interesting legal issues in the last two years that you've come across. Oh, my God. We could do a whole webinar on just evaluating the IP, you know, and just how do we do that? Um, we do have our first provisional patent that we filed in 2023 for a social innovation um, and so that was really exciting for us as a team, like, aha, we could do it too, you know, like, and it wasn't that we didn't think we could, it just, people kept wanting an example, right? Show me, show me, show me. And we didn't have one. Um, and so now to have one and it's doing, um, the innovation is doing very well. The innovators are great. Um, means not only can we say we have one, but we can show the impact and success of one, right? And that's the piece that really matters. Um from a support perspective, it's everything from our tech showcase articles to the webinars that we deliver. Um, and then there's the licensing around this, which like, wow, you know, I joke with our team all the time of like, please quit telling UK legal that social innovation has a question. Because oh. <laughs> I'm always the one with the question, right? Um, but we have had some amazing successes um, in this in this year related to licensing from July 1st until December 31st of 2023 we executed contracts to just under the tune of a million dollars in social innovation oh wow that's impressive and remind us again how big your team is um, I call us a team of 1.5. Um, because wow. my coordinator, my coordinator is full time, um, but she's not salaried yet. And that is something that we're working on. She's an hourly person. So it's me and a program coordinator. But I want to I want to put an asterisk by this because this is actually the most important piece to me. Right. Um, we broke records this year. We had the largest 
um, license issue fee that the university has ever seen come out of a social innovation. Um, and th these things are incredible and they're amazing. And that, yes, then the question is, wow, you must have like this massive team. And technically in social innovation, it's just me, right? And my program coordinator, um, who I often refer to as the mermaid who's trying to save me from drowning on a daily basis. She's phenomenal and nobody can have her either. I won't even name her because she's mine. You can't have her. I, I need her. <laughs> um, but none of this would happen without our team, right? Eric Castlin leads our, our contracts team. And uh, again, the thinking through behind creating the agreements, um, and just the different issues that come up with it, right? I love our innovators and they love to help me, um, but sometimes they'll go out and negotiate contracts on their own and then bring them to me and go, look, aren't you proud of me? And I'm like, no, don't do that. That's not helpful. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh right? My. Yeah, that's funny. And Eric's like, please tell him to stop. No, he's never like that. He's always like, well, we'll figure it out. Um, and that's what you need to be successful, right? I have, um, there's, I don't know, like, 20-something people in our Office of Technology Commercialization. And every time I raise my hand, they're like, how can we help you? Yeah, what do you need? It's quite a teamwork in that office, it sounds like. Right? So it's it's never just me. I couldn't do any of this without them. Yeah, and it sounds like very creative people, too. I mean, you managed to find a way to file a provisional on a uh, social innovation. And it sounds like even the licensing you've had to get extremely, extremely creative on. Yeah. Oh, yes. Very, very creative on. You know, two years ago, I was just talking to you about this, you know, kind of Batman Robin idea. We're not really sure how we're going to make this work inside of OTC with our commercialization managers, but we're going to figure it out and we're making some progress. And um, now I don't know why we were ever like, how will this work? <laughs> right? Because they coach, we, we all coach together. We all support. Um, there's, it was an immediate, yeah, let's do this together and figure it out. And um, they stand in for coaching sessions when I can't be there. Um, they help me solve problems. They coach with me, even if I can be there. Right. Um, and I just, I don't think we would have had the success we did without this team. Yeah, it sounds like the uh, support you've had has been absolutely incredible in that team. So tell us a little bit more about how you've been able to transform research into actionable innovations and how do you create meaningful opportunities for students to engage in some of these social impact initiatives? Yeah, um, and I, I love that question. I think we're constantly trying to figure out how do we engage students more um, from a transforming the research again I think that is such a the, the student piece that in the classroom piece and doing community-based projects or community engaged projects um, is really kind of the x factor to moving these moving social innovations forward faster right of getting them to transform from research to um, translational solution right something that's ready to go um, and that so you know, we, we do have interns, we do have ambassadors, we have fellows. Um, again, I will say none of them are assigned specifically to social innovation, but all of them are doing social innovation work, right? Um, the ambassadors that are assigned to the commercialization managers, they still support our work, right? They're still doing market assessments and market research for us. The 
IP fellows are building our market assessments and doing the intellectual property reviews for social innovation um, from an experiential learning perspective. Um, so the university's quality enhancement plan um, is grounded in translational education knowledge, right? And bringing faculty from different areas to work together and, and <laughs> surprise, surprise, the best part is, is they're supposed to be doing it in the community, right? It's almost like the university aligned and was like, how can we help Serenity all by ourselves? And we'll just <laughs> provide all these courses that are going to come up with community engaged research solutions, right? So being part of that process um, and working with the leadership there and working with the faculty there, um, that is moving things along very quickly too, because it, it gives a different highlight to the work that we're doing, right? And the ways in which we can support and move that translational and transformational piece forward. But sometimes it's, you know, you said earlier, it sounds like you're a connector. And sometimes it is about the facilitation piece to move it forward. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, we worked with our local police department because they had a, they went to a conference and they said, um, some university was talking about how they use the, forensics program to help with their cold cases. We have years of backlog, you know, can the university help? And I was like, I don't know, let's ask, can we help, right? And so now they're building an internship program, they're looking for grants together, um, they're guest lecturing in these programs, and that is going to truly transform not just the research, but the experiential education that our students are getting too, Yeah. right? And so the impact of these facilitations that we're able to make in terms of transformation, translational research, um, it's really exciting. I don't like to be bored, so I'm never bored. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't sound like it. And can you imagine being a student to work on a cold case like that and have a role and being able to solve it and getting a family some, some closure? I mean, that's a tremendous opportunity. That's really incredible. And all because somebody trusted us enough to say, Hey, are you willing to talk about this idea? Yeah, have a conversation. Yeah. So, Serenity, I wanted to ask you, how does the social innovation team engage in educational initiatives? I mean, you've talked about a little bit about going out and, and doing some education to help spread awareness about the importance of social innovation and its potential impact. So, for me, education around what is social innovation and how we can make a difference, it's really twofold, right? One in terms of, it's probably more than that, but I'm making two buckets in my head right now. <laughs> One is the field, right? People who work in tech transfer or are on a campus, right? Somehow tied to this. The other, I think, is in broader economic development in general, right? Because I also need community organizations, industry partners, businesses to be willing to engage on both sides, right? So in addition to webinars, um, our teaching and our accelerator programs um, or going places on campus to talk about this, right? Um, we present, our team presents at Autumn. Um, we are heavily engaged in the social innovation SIG, which was just starting two years ago. That was the big win two years ago was that we were able to stand this up, right? And now I've got groups of people trading um, templates and examples all over the country. Um, our friend Eileen Dingus is standing up a social innovation I-Corps hub 
um, this spring out in Arizona. Oh, that's great to hear. That's impressive. That's really fantastic yeah. news. It really is. Our And again, our LBA accelerator is going to launch a social innovation track. So the, the things are growing in our space. The more we educate, the more we get out there. Those are just some ways that we have done it to get to here. Um, but I also present at um, the Kentucky Association of Economic Development at their annual conferences. I travel and work very closely with our regional chambers of commerce to provide workshops to, for folks about how do you work with universities, but also how do we bring these social innovation principles into our community so that we're really working towards people-centered, future-focused communities. The only way to do that is if we are all working together, right, for self-sufficiency in our community. So how do we solve these complex levers and use community-based system dynamics to make this work, right? So doing some education and some teaching around that, um, I think has been helpful related to social innovation because now we're seeing more and more community folks apply to our accelerators. We're seeing more and more organizations and industry partners want to reach out for grants, right? We partnered with um, Appalachian Regional Healthcare um, on an NSF engine grant that was really grounded in um, enhancing and advancing the ecosystem in Appalachia in Eastern Kentucky, right? And that's because we're out there just attending meetings, talking to things, or presenting at conferences and and where we can. So um, we're really trying to do to keep <laughs> the and model um, for as long as we can in order to make sure we're again. It's about expanding that access so everybody knows how do I do that? How do I get involved? How do I stay engaged? How do I get the help that I need? Now, Serenity, this has been an incredible, and to have sustained social impact, you have to be very strategic, and it's obvious you have been. So can you share for us some of the key strategies that you've used for ensuring sustained impact, including growth, meeting community needs, and fostering diversity among innovators? Um, feels like a trick question. But <laughs> well, at this point in the podcast, this is usually where I introduce them. <laughs> um, you know, I this is it's so critical, right? Because here's the thing, and I think we even talked about this um, two years ago. Because at the time, and I actually joked with Ian McClure about this as we were presenting together on a panel um, early last fall, which we had never done before, by the way, and didn't realize until then. Um, but the question when the announcement was made about my position was immediately about funding. How many people is she going to get? What's her budget going to be? How many? And at the time, and I think I even said it on this podcast, was like, I don't care. It does. I'm not worried about that. Right. Because I don't know what I need a person to do. Right. That's what you said at the time. Yeah, you weren't sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We didn't know. But the sustained piece I think has has generated or attracted or been given this socially constructed weight to mean money, right? The only way things can be sustained is with money. And that, that's that's not it. What would I like more money? Yeah, sure. Always. Would I like more people? Yes. <laughs> I am a yes vote. But the the sustaining piece is about the infrastructure. 
right? So it's about the things that I talked about before, working with college leadership, working with university leadership, working with the research leadership to make sure that we're, we don't need to, we didn't necessarily need to build new things or pay for new things. We just needed to put the rungs in the ladder back where they had fallen out, right? Or in some places, extend the ladder a little bit where it stopped, where it had ceilings, right? Um, and so from a sustaining perspective, I would say our, our greatest strategy has been to focus on closing the rings that, that we're working with, right? And making sure each of those rings is not just attached, not just closed. Closed is a better word there. But also then looping in with something else so that I don't lose it, right? Because to your question earlier, how many of us are there? If it's just me and my program coordinator, right? Let's If, it, if we were just to look at it from that perspective, if it's just the two of us holding on to each other, we're going to get blown away, right? Absolutely. There's too much to do. There's too much. Um, there's not enough of anything and everything, right? We're going to get distracted. Um, we're going to get beaten down by the system. So we have to hold on to everything that we've got, right? And not from a, I want to clarify this, not from a place of control or I'm afraid to let go, but from a way that it grounds us and keeps us focused on who we're trying to serve and what we're trying to do so that we don't get distracted. Because if we get distracted and go chase something that's not right, that's not for us, it will break the sustained chain, right? And so we we have to stay intentional to the policies that we're putting in place, um, to the policies that we're asking to be reviewed, to the processes that we're asking to be reviewed, right? Um, and I, I do think that has been our greatest strength from a strategic approach, not just for, for the growth that we've had, right? Because we've had some incredible growth, but also from a, how do we bring, how do we bring community in? We've been very intentional about that, right? Um, and very focused in those partnerships that we're making and, and the circle that we're closing there, right? And making sure that that one's good. And if it's not good, how do we help? How do we make it better? Because things are going to chip, right? Even diamonds chip, right? Um, and the only way that it doesn't fall out, that the diamond doesn't fall out of the case is if it gets evaluated every six months. Yep. You check it for, you know, cracks or, you know, imperfections, right. things like that. That's right. So we're constantly going back to these things and going, are we okay? Do we need to do something different? Do we need to make a change? But we can't know that if we're not keeping track of and being intentional about everything that we're doing in the process. So we've really taken a data-informed approach to these sustained to this strategic approach that we're trying to take. But I don't know if I answered that well or not. No, that was really, really very helpful. So Serenity, you mentioned a little bit earlier about all this data that you're collecting. So it's obvious that you're measuring metrics. Can you tell us a little bit about the metrics you're measuring and how you're measuring them? Yeah, from day one, this has been the hot topic, right? Everybody wants to know how is social innovation? And, that, and that's anybody I talk to, um, across the country. Yes. How are you tracking? What are you tracking? Legitimate question, right? Yes. Um, there was even conversation early on about we needed to do a webinar to standardize some of these things. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, 
And for us, <laughs> I, I tend to say, well, we track anything and everything, but it's not, there's a difference in tracking metrics and impact data, right? And so we have our, um, and we have always had our traditional, um, I'll call it traditional tech transfer data numbers, disclosures, license, agreements, those types of things, right? And we do track those. But like I mentioned earlier, in addition to that, we're also tracking timelines around these things and engagement points from the first time I talk to somebody to the time they disclose. How long does that take? How many times do I need to meet with them to get them to disclose to our office? What I'm measuring there is trust. I need to know that to be able to know how to support my people. When we're talking about these um, facilitations and these connections that we're making, we track them not just from a um, who it is, but where they come from. Is it coming from the university? Is it coming from our office? Is it coming from the community? And then where is it going? And so that's a tracking metric, right? Like number of people from community to community, check. But what I really wanna know is, why? What did they come to me for? What happened because of that? And when I can track the impact metrics of those connections, of those facilitations, it's also telling me what people need, right? What are they asking me for? Are they asking for vendors? Are they asking for job applications? We track jobs that we've helped people secure, right? Or have been created because of a conversation or facilitation that we had. Um, we're tracking class projects. We're tracking disclosures or solutions that have come out of these connections. Um, so, and what we're measuring there is also the relationship that we've built with people, right? So there's the trust component. And then as we work towards the impact component, we're, we're really measuring the relationship. And then with our researchers and their actual innovations, now we're talking about impact capital I that people understand, right? So we have a license that's about a training program for um, typically for people who work inside of a health department to help them work with pregnant women who are trying to stop smoking, right? I know how many people they trained before we licensed. I also now know how many states of people they've now trained and how many women how many pregnant women have benefited from this program, which leads to better births and better lives and better health. Absolutely. That plays it forward so much. Absolutely. But the only way I'm going to know those things is if I have the relationship with the innovator in order to do that, right? And if we're engaged in that conversation on a regular basis. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, we track things and data. And I think sometimes it can come out of, my mouth when I'm presenting as um, not dismissive or secondary, but just like, oh, it's this thing that we do. But it is an epic thing that we do. I have heat, we have heat maps that we've built for all over campus and our community for where are we going? Who are we talking with? How does that shift with what we're doing? Um, so it's so much more than just number of. And we really are pushing the conversation two and three points down the line to truly try and measure the impact of the one connection that we made down here. Oh, it sounds like a tremendous amount of work. It really does. Yes. And her name is Meg Brennan and she's amazing. We can't take her either, I would assume. 
No, absolutely not. Can't have her. She's mine. <laughs> well, Serenity, as the podcast comes to a close, I wanted to give you a chance to um, provide any specific standout moments or impactful outcomes that have unfolded over the last two years since we last talked. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, I've casually dropped in some of our bigger, cooler ones, right? Record-breaking um, license issue fee, our first provisional patent, the proof of concept funding um, initiatives that we've managed to secure on campus. Those have truly felt like giant wins. And I'm, I'm so thankful. Those are huge. To, I mean, unbelievable, right? And so I'm just so thankful to Dr. Brian Noren and Dean um, Jay Miller for, for their trust, for their partnership in this process. But, you know, there are, we've had so many other wins, right? Um, I've talked a lot about our accelerator program um, and our pre-seed accelerator program. We had a 61% increase in coaching sessions. That's 23 teams. That's 25 diverse campus innovations and 11 different community teams, right? Um, we've had over $70,000 in the proof of concept funding um, we've had a 38% increase in social innovation disclosures. And so that's a great number. But what that also tells us is we've welcomed innovators from three new colleges into our network just in 2023 alone. Um, we have successfully executed 21 licenses. And again, that's about Eric Castlin and his amazing team, which has generated a whopping $814,000 in licenses, licensing income. Um, we have accomplished 114% growth in our network and connections. And again, this is what I'm talking about from an inclusive innovation ecosystem and fostering partnerships and driving customer discovery and the trust and the relationships and just the people that we love and respect so much and value their, their I don't know, faith in us to be part of their team. Um, we've participated at 57 different events. Um We've been to 14 conferences, 12 different speaking engagements. Um, we've had our innovators featured in our tech showcase um, by Startup Lex, um, in the Pollock Report. Um, so we've had an amazing, <laughs> we've had an amazing year. Um, and I look at that number and I go, wow, no wonder I'm gray. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> Tired, yes. Well, <laughs> always in there. But you know, I don't feel it. And it's just amazing and it's incredible. And we couldn't have done it without our amazing team. Um, I'm so thankful to Tanya Phillips um, because she hears literally everything that happens in my head, right? And she's so great about either being like, why don't you think about that for a minute before you go base jump off that cliff? Or she'll be like, why don't you just go ahead? Go ahead. See what happens. You know, Serenity, it's so interesting to hear you talk about it because I think a lot of people hearing that would think that they would be tired. But what I'm getting from you is that you're energized by all of it. There's so much more we can do. And it just proves to me that it's there. Yes, um, it's definitely there it serves, based on what you've described. Yes. And so you're right. It it serves as um, fuel in the fire of like, yeah, let's we've now we have a baseline and now we have numbers to beat. Um, and I'm insanely competitive. So off we go. 2024. Well, we're not going to wait two more years to have you back. But thank you so much, Serenity. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And congratulations on all that you've accomplished over the last two years there 
at UK with your social innovation program. Thank you, Lisa. You've been a great supporter of us and we're thankful for you. Thank you, Serenity, for joining us and sharing about the social innovation programs, mission inclusive practices and impactful initiatives. From community engaged projects to supporting faculty and students, the social innovation team is actively driving positive change and I'm excited to see how this program grows in Kentucky and beyond. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. 